mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Scanning the QR code located on the front of the worship guide allows you to connect to all online information about our church, the giving of tithes and offerings, along with our social media platforms all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu item for first-time guests. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or you may mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard. Or after the service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary in that wooden box. Today after worship, the Goodson Village Group will meet in the church house. This week, Monday, May 29th, the church office is closed. On Thursday, June 1st, the Shipman Men's Group will meet at Just Love Coffee at 7 uh, a.m. And the Goodson Men's Group will meet at the church house at 5 p.m. On Friday, June 2nd at 6 p.m., we have the Youth Summer Blast Off. Next Sunday, we have worship at 9.30. The Teague Village Group will meet at 11 a.m. in the church house. And then there's leadership training at 6. Make sure to save the date for the Juneteenth cookout, um, Saturday, June 17th from 11 to 2. And if you missed all the flyers in the front, grab some of those to share. Um, And there will be Men's Ministry Fellowship Time on Wednesday, June 21st at 6 p.m. at the church house. These are your announcements. Govern yourselves accordingly.
to worship. Amen. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 84, verses 1, 2b, 4, and 5. Please join with me where it notes people. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways of amen. Feed it the grave. 
majestic and glorious and excellent is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Our God is so great. He's so mighty. He's so lovely. God Almighty, Lord of glory, oh, we worship you.
Good morning, church. How you guys doing this morning? Good. Man, you guys ever had an epiphany? I had one this morning. So I'm in the bathroom and I'm buttoning my shirt up and I get to the very last button and I'm like, there's not a hole for this one. And so I struggle with it for a while and I'm like, it's not a hole. What is going on with that? So I asked my wife who know everything. Why don't I have a hole for this button? She say, that's an extra button, silly. I'm like, ah, that is brilliant. Ah, I guess I can stop throwing away shirts when I'm missing a button. <laughs> but I also heard something very funny this week. So the pastor, he's in the lobby, and he's shaking hands with everybody that comes in. So a guy named Joe comes in, and he hasn't seen Joe in a while, so he shakes his hand, and he steps to the side with him. He says, Joe, where you been? He said, you need to be in the army of the Lord. And Joe's like, what do you mean? I'm already in the army of the Lord. He's like, no, because you hardly come to church. I only see you on Easter and Christmas. And Joe brings the pastor close, and he says, that's because I'm in the secret service. Well, we're going to go ahead and have our congregational prayer. So, bless God, maker of heaven and earth. You produce and sustain us. Save and keep us. You are in every situation available to meet our needs. Help us to live for you as we progress to, as we progress to resemble Christ. Never satisfied with ourselves. Let your love contain us into holy obedience and render our duties to your de, to our de, to you our delight keep us walking steadfastly toward your kingdom support us by your strength that we may never turn back or desire false pleasures that will disappear into nothing as we pursue our heavenly journey by your grace let us be known as men women with no aim but that of a burning desire for God and the good and salvation of our fellow man. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture and we'll be reading from Hosea 10 verses 1 through 8. Is Israel I'm sorry, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increases, the more altar he built. As his country improves, he improves his pillars. There, their hearts is, <coughs> is false. Now they may bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king. For we do not fear the Lord and a king. What could he do for us? They uttered mere words. With empty oaths they make covenants. So judgments spring up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Bethaven. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoice over it and over its glory for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. 
Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idols. Samaria's king shall, shall uh, perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorns and thistles shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. This is the word of God. All right, you guys may be seated. And now we just have the prayer of supplication. And what we're gonna, I'm going to pray for is that God, uh, that we ask God to help us do what he will allow us, that he wants us to do. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to come to you with uh, a request for guidance for all the things that you would actually have us do. Most of the time we are uh, in a, get into our prayers and we think about the things that we truly think that we want and those things that we desire. But today, Lord, we just want to come to you and we want to fulfill your purpose and your reasons for us to actually be here. So we ask you, Lord, uh, in utter honesty to just come into our hearts and give us guidance and allow us to do and see Thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Bible, please open it to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. What if I told you a promise is made before Israel is divided into two separate kingdoms? That a certain man is uh, given the opportunity to have a lasting dynasty that a new kingdom gets off on the wrong foot that sometimes people sow the seeds of their own destruction that sin does have generational impact what if i told you that one king causes a whole nation to sin against god that this king's fear leads this nation into idolatry and rebellion, and that the problems in the book of Hosea are 200-year-old problems. I invite y'all to turn with me to Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. The title of the sermon is, A King's Fears. A King's Fear. And the main idea, the main point, and the main idea of the sermon is one king's fear sets into motion everything that leads the northern kingdom into exile. One king's fear 
sets everything into motion that leads the northern kingdom into exile. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. I pray that you will take the words that I preach and to apply it to our hearts and to our minds. And I also want to pray for for those who have served our country and gave the ultimate sacrifice by losing their life as we celebrate Memorial um, Day this, this weekend. Thank you for those men and women who served faithfully our country. Some of us may have had loved ones who served and, and didn't make it back or know someone who did. So thank you for that, Lord. And again, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are the one that has to take the preached word and apply it to our hearts. Preaching has no power apart from you, apart from you moving. And so my prayer is that you will move for the glory of Jesus and for the good of his beloved. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Who becomes the first king of the northern kingdom? after Israel is divided into two separate kingdoms. Does anyone know? This man isn't from the line of King David. He is an Ephraimite who serves in King Solomon's administration. His name is Jeroboam I. And one day, while walking down the road out of Jerusalem, uh, the prophet Ahijah meets Jeroboam. And this is not just an accidental meeting or a meeting of chance. This is a divine meeting. And, and this meeting takes place while King, while Solomon is still king of a united kingdom. And this prophet, he prophesies over Jeroboam a word from the Lord. It is a thus says the Lord word. In 1 Kings 11, Ahijah the prophet says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. I will give you ten tribes. The Lord plans to take the king away from Solomon, who, is, as, as we know, is, is the wisest man to ever live at this point. Because of Solomon's unrepentant idolatry, the kingdom divides as a consequences of, as a consequence of Solomon's unrepentant rebellion against the Lord God. And so the Lord promises to make Jeroboam a king over Israel, the northern kingdom. He freely chooses Jeroboam for this kingship, and Jeroboam is promised a dynasty if he walks faithfully before the Lord God. I want y'all to, to listen to what God promised to Jeroboam. And as I read this, I want you to notice the pronouns that are used. Pronouns are important. The Lord says, I would take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. But I would make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes 
but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands and I and will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet Solomon's son, I will give him one tribe that David, my servant, may always have a, a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you and you will reign over all the souls you desire and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David, my servant, did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David. I will give Israel to you. Did you notice the pronoun? been used in this promise to Jeroboam. The first person pronoun, I, it's used 11 times in those four verses. And maybe it's the Lord is making clear to Jeroboam that Jeroboam doesn't have to make the promises come true. All he has to do is trust the Lord's promises and walk faithfully before him. Jeroboam does not have to take matters into his own hands. For Yahweh Elohim is faithful. Is he not? That's an amen statement. The Lord isn't a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man that he should go back on his word. Amen? But later on, after the kingdom eventually divides into the northern and southern kingdoms, and, and after Rehoboam, Solomon's son, becomes king of Judah, and after Jeroboam becomes the king, I know these names are, are funny, they becomes king of Israel in the north, it seems like King Jeroboam stops believing the prophecy spoken over him and the promises made to him by the Lord God. It looks like Fear takes hold of his heart. The newly crowned king begins to fear that he would eventually lose his kingdom, his throne, his power, and the loyalty of the ten tribes. He fears the promises made to him by the Lord will fail. Have you ever felt that way? 1 Kings 12, verses 26 and 27 says, Jeroboam says in his heart. He says this in his heart. Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, then the hearts of the people will turn back to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. TVC saints and guests, this is the story King Jeroboam tells himself. He says in his heart, what stories have you told yourself this week? What stories are you telling yourself now at this moment? How are you lying to yourself? Please know the story Jeroboam tells his heart is a lie. It's not what was prophesied over him. It's not what was promised to him. 
The Lord says, I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires and you shall be king over Israel. I will be with you. I will build you a sure house as I built for David. I will give you Israel to you. If you are a Christian, God has made wonderful promises to you in Christ. Grace, mercy, love, affection, sanctification, justification, glorification, all the theological terms. And all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And the question is, will you trust God's promises and what he says in his word? Or will you trust your fear in the story you tell yourself about God? And sometimes the stories we tell ourselves are not true. Jeroboam does the latter. Fear pulls him away from believing the prophecy spoken over him and the promises made to him. When a prophet in the Old Testament comes and says, thus says the Lord, that is like God himself speaking. God has said this to him, prophesied over him. But he begins to take matters into his own hands because of his own fear of what could happen. Our fear doesn't guarantee what we fear is going to happen. It's just it could happen. He begins to sow the seeds of his own destruction and the destruction of his own kingdom. How is Jeroboam known and described throughout the Bible? If you if ever done a deep study in the Old Testament, how is this man often described? Is he a good king or evil king? He's known as the one who causes Israel to sin. That's, how he's, that's the description attached to his name, Jeroboam, who calls Israel to sin. It's used over 20 times in the, in the Bible when he's talking about him. He's an evil king, and his fear causes Israel, the northern kingdom, to sin against the Lord, their God. And guess what the Lord God says to him in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings 14? Another prophecy is spoken to him by the prophet Ahijah. And this time, it's not a prophecy of blessing, but it's one of curses and judgment. 1 Kings 14 says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you among the people and made you leader over my people Israel, and I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, yet you have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing what was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who ever lived before you. Dang. That's deep. You have done more evil than all who lived before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods, metal images, provoking me to anger, had, had cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam. Jeroboam has done more evil than any who lived before him. Now, that's tough. I mean, more evil than Adam? 
more evil than Saul? Like, what has this brother done? Well, he leads the northern kingdom down the path of idolatry from its inception. Here's the thing. Here's a nugget, y'all. Bad leadership corrupts a lot of stuff. His actions are recorded in 1 Kings 12. Please note, Hosea, it is, all the events in the 1 Kings and 2 Kings, this is what Hosea is dealing with in his book. So when you're reading Hosea and you want to know what he's talking about, read 1 and 2 Kings. You will see all the mess. So in 1 Kings 12, what does he do? Jeroboam institutes his own religious system that's different from the one in Jerusalem. He does that out of fear. Second, he creates two golden calves to be physical representations of the Lord God. 1 Kings 12 says, So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, this is what he says to the people of the northern kingdom, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. These two golden calves, these are the gods who have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And not only did he make them, he put one in Bethel as a worship center, and then he put one in Dan. And third, he built his own temple on high places. So what he's doing is that he's making sure that the tribes of the north don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. So he creates his own system. And that's fourth, he appoints his own priesthood. Priests from among all the people who were not Levites. So he created his own priesthood. He also filled, he also creates his own festival of ingathering, just like the festival in Judah. So he is doing all he can to to make sure his people does not have to depend upon Jerusalem any longer. And these are sinful actions by the first king of Israel. He makes the decisions out of fear of losing his position and power. And here's the thing, his position and power he didn't work for. It was given to him. And nothing you have or you had to work for either was given to you. Whatever position you have, whatever stuff we have, it's been given to us. And if God removes his hand from you and your stuff, it all goes away. Let's put it this way. We only one a couple we only a couple of days away from being in poverty. You just don't know it. He fears. The prophecy spoken over him and the promises made to him by Yahweh Elohim will fail. Listen, don't judge him because we struggle to believe as well. TVC Saints and Gifts, can y'all see what one king's fear has set in motion? These are the things that he did at the very beginning of the northern kingdom. His decisions not only reduced the people's dependency on Jerusalem, but his actions will pull the people away from their gods. You can't build golden calves and say, these are the gods that brought you out of Jerusalem and think God is okay with that. His sinful actions continue to be felt throughout the northern kingdom for 208 years. 
what he did, those early decisions are still being felt throughout the book of Hosea 200 years later. One pastor said, Pastor Baxter says, Jeroboam's ongoing influence, in fact, is a leading cause of the Assyrian captivity. The destruction that was continually and graphically and lovingly warned about in the book of Hosea. Like I said, Hosea addresses 200-year-old problems. But what's amazing is the patience of the Lord God. He could have put an end to Jeroboam right at the beginning of it. But he doesn't. He, 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 he has been long-suffering for those 200 years. It's like, is God really patient? Go back and read 1 Kings. You will see his patience with sinful people, his long suffering. And we have to let that take the heart that Hosea isn't the first prophet God sent to the northern kingdom. Others are sent to try to get the kingdom to return and to repent to the Lord. And the Lord still blesses the kingdom, even though the kingdom is in rebellion against him. I don't understand it. How good and great our God really is. Hosea, when does Hosea begin his ministry? Do y'all know? He begins his ministry during the reign of King Jeroboam II. They're not related. Jeroboam II is the 13th king of the northern kingdom. And he is the one who reestablishes the the northern borders of Jerusalem. And he fosters one of the greatest periods of economic prosperity that the kingdom has ever seen since the days of King Solomon. I mean, during his king, he reigned for 41 years. So for 41 years, the northern kingdom is having the good life. Everything's great. Everyone's prospering. Great economic prosperity. That's what you see on the outside. But it's also marked with injustice and idolatry at the same time. Because the poor are being taken advantage of. So like Jeroboam I, Jeroboam II is also an evil king. 2 Kings 14 says, And Jeroboam does, does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. He does not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam I, which he made Israel sin. He's, his sins are still impacting the kingdom. And when you get to Hosea 10, verse 1, it points to God's blessings to the northern kingdom up to the prosperity during the 41-year reign of King Jeroboam II. Israel is a luxuriant vine. She's fertile. She, because God's been faithful, because of his goodness. Look at verse 1a. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. This is referring to King Jeroboam, all his prosperity of Jeroboam II. The metaphor means Israel is an affluent and prosperous nation. The kingdom bears an abundant amount of fruit over and over again. Again, she's prospering even though she's in rebellion against the Lord. Again, is this Jeroboam's doing? Is this because of Baal? Or is this because of the goodness of Yahweh? It's God's grace, his patience, his long suffering. He's been blessing them despite their rebellion and idolatry. He has remained faithful to the northern kingdom, but they have remained, they are faithless to him. Lifeline, 
Champagne is a, Inc. was a nonprofit created to serve low-income um, low-income students in Champaign, Illinois. The founder of this nonprofit was a local pastor and high school football coach, and he operated this nonprofit between 2012 and 2019. During that time frame, the nonprofit received federal grants from the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development through the city of Champaign to provide summer enrichment programs to low-income students. However, this local pastor misused these HUD funds for his own benefit, which included going to casinos. His misuse of these funds eventually caught up with him. He ended up, in, back in December 2022, he ended up pleading guilty to financial crimes. And back in April, he was sentenced to 12 months of imprisonment for it. He was saying, Jeroboam II, in the northern kingdom, are similar to this local pastor. They're guilty of misusing Yahweh's funds for their own benefit. Misusing Yahweh's funds, which are the blessings for their good and for his glory, instead of using, they use his funds to fund, to develop, and to improve their idolatry. Look at verse 1 again. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. How are we misusing God's funds? We're not building altars and pillars, but we do build steeples. We do build churches. We buy church buildings. We make improvements to those buildings. So we have to be watchful, be careful that our church building doesn't become an idol that we worship. I know you look at that building and like, that can't be a struggle here. <laughs> I know. Humble beginnings. But the point is, our, a, a church steeple in a building can become a golden calf. Drive around Huntsville. Tons of churches everywhere. Is Yahweh worshipful? Technology that we use in our worship space can become a golden calf. Music we sing can become a golden calf. The church budget can become a golden calf. Dress attire can become a golden calf. Church denomination can become a golden calf. Theology and doctrine can become a golden calf. You see, Christians today are no different from the people in the northern kingdom. Our idolatry just looks different. But it smells the same to the Lord. It smells the same. Please understand that our hearts are no different than their hearts. We have the same issue. Look at verse 2. Hosea says their heart is false. Well, what does that mean? The New English translation says their hearts are slippery. They, they, they have, they, their hearts are filled with deceit and flattery. They have self-interest hearts. You see, they're trying to live in two different worlds. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Scholar Cornelius Van Liedwin says, instead of serving Yahweh with all their hearts, Israel would keep friends with both him and Baal. 
They have divided false hearts, trying to love Yahweh and trying to love Baal at the same time. And this has been going on for 200 years. And we look at our, if we look at Christianity in America, oh, do you think we have divided hearts? That we can have divided hearts? That we can serve Jesus and culture? We can serve Jesus and our politics? We try to marry these things together and we call it Christianity? What are our two golden calves? You don't have to be politics. It can be success. It can be whatever it is that you say, I can't live without it. What is it for us? I know for me, sometimes it's food. Man's praise. Being a good preacher. Ministry. This church. Those are mine. When we get to Hosea, the Lord... Think about this. How would you feel if you were bankrolling somebody's sin? Would that make you feel good? If you were funding someone's habits, would, would that make you feel good? They, they, you're just an ATM machine. And this is what God, they've been doing to Yahweh. He's, he's, he's funding their idolatry. And, 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 when, and when you think about that and you're like, I won't do that, why would we expect God to do that? And, and when he gets to Hosea after 200 years, he's like, I'm tired of funding y'all idolatry. He says, the jig is over. My people won't confess, they won't repent. They reject every prophet I sent to them. Now, some, now remember, now, remember what happened on Mount Carmel with the prophet Elijah. He, he showed them who was the real God and yet they still went back to Baal. Still went back. They simply refused to return with their whole hearts. And we know eventually that's why we need a Savior. Because our hearts will never return fully to God because it's incapable of doing so. Without the blood of the Lamb. So when you see all this stuff in the Old Testament, it, you should say, a greater prophet is needed. Something else is needed to change hearts. And that's why the Messiah comes. Because if it's left up to us, we would not, we cannot change our own hearts. We just can't. The hearts have to be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has to be the one who draws us closer and, and closer and closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Again, we read them back into history. We get that luxury. This is a this is a means of grace. Been able to look back into history. There's a card game me and my siblings used to play as kids. It's called House of Cards. So it's a simple game. You take two decks of playing cards and you start with a simple structure with four cards in a box shape and a roof and you add a roof. You keep working outwards and upwards, adding more and more cards creatively, and then you start to stack them. But here's the thing about this game. It doesn't take much for the structure to fall down. It's not a stable structure. The house of card game is also, in, uh, uh, is also a phrase that refers to a structure, a plan, a system, a ministry, or organization that is weak and will likely collapse at any moment. 
the northern kingdom is a house of cards. Okay? And TBC Saints and Guests, it doesn't turn into a house of cards over time. It begins as a house of cards. Think about that. Take it to heart. The fear of Jeroboam I causes him to build a kingdom built of cards. When you build anything out of fear, that eventually is going to fail. When you build anything with you at the center of it and not Jesus, expect it to fail at some point. I ain't getting no amen statements here. And every king after Jeroboam the first, you know what they did? They just added more cards. They just added more cards. The card stacking continues for 200 years. They're stacking, they're stacking, and stacking. But now when we get to Hosea, the northern kingdom is getting ready to see its shakiness and fragility. The kingdom built the cards will collapse. For God's judgment comes as a result of, of the king, the kingdom's continued refusal to repent. A reversal of expectations and blessing is coming. All the prosperity and stability and the success and, and the expansion that comes from King Jeroboam II will end. One professor, Todd Bolin, says, the last half of the ninth century for the northern kingdom was most unlike the period of expansion and economic growth that King Jeroboam II fostered. The, the, the stability that he established would be unknown after his death. It would be unknown after his death. No longer will the northern kingdom be a fertile vine that bears much fruit. Look at verse 2 again. Their hearts is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down the pillars. He will destroy the altars. The kingdom built the cars will fall apart. And this includes their religious idolatry. Too often, when you look at Christianity in America, we always think the worst enemy is outside the church but more, most of the time it's within. Because the problem with the northern kingdom is that it's self-inflicted wounds. It wasn't attacked from the outside that undid it. It was what they were doing to themselves. And I think sometimes, definitely in, in reformed evangelical spaces, we, we, we say we, we are against the culture, and then when we do that, we forget about the wolves inside the church. We forget about the wolves that are sitting in our pews or in our pulpit dressed in suits or in leadership because, oh, the enemy's outside. And when you start thinking that way, the enemy already got you. Read through Old Testament history. It's always what they do to themselves. God brings the outside enemy as an instrument of his judgment. Because of his people and the way they live and how they treat each other. So sometimes we got to look within. And we can never get to a place as a church that say, well, that'll never happen here. Oh, yes, it can. Oh, yes, it can. And that wasn't even in my notes. Thank you, Spirit, I guess. 
And so what God is going to destroy, he's going to not only destroy the, the kingdom and collapse the kingdom, he's going to, that also includes their religious idolatry. And, their, and the religious system that Jeroboam built it was, is a house of cards too. It too will collapse. And y'all please understand, Yahweh Elohim will cause this collapse to happen. He's going to smash all of their idols and their pillars in two. He's going to undo all the home improvements that they made to their idolatry. He's going to remove the two golden calves that Jeroboam the first built at the inception of the kingdom out of fear. And I believe those two golden calves are still at work. They are still in the northern kingdom. And he built those either for to be physical representations of Yahweh, which is sin, or to be representations of Baal. Either way, it's still sin. It's a house of cards. How is he going to do it? The Assyrians are going to come in. They're going to snatch away those little idols. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, The inhabitants, make sure I'm on the right page, yeah. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Bethlehem. The people mourn for it, as do the idolatrous priests. Those who rejoice over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idols. So, Lord, God is going to cut off Israel from, from its false worship. And, and idolatry. Now, when you're reading these things, anything in the Old Testament, as Christians in America, again, you, bet, you cannot say, well, this is happening in America. No, no, no. That, that, that's bad hermeneutics. America's not the church. America's not the new Israel. So when he's talking to Israel, he's talking to the church. Talking to us. See, verse 8 says, The high places of, of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow upon their altars. What's happening here? The Lord is cutting off their false worship. He's revealing their false sense of security and comfort. They will experience covenant curses because they won't repent. And they're going to experience despair and adversity. Look at verse 8b. And they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, to the hills, fall on us. I know that's graphic, and I know that's hard to read. There's nothing, you cannot romanticize judgment. It's like trying to romanticize war. You can't. It is what it is. And when we hear all this stuff about judgment and about in the Old Testament, it's hard to read. And sometimes it's hard. I was writing a sermon this week. I'm like, how in the heck are we going to find Christ here? Like, wh where's the hope? Pastor Richard Phillips in Greenville, South Carolina, he says, Does Hosea offer no hope for sinners? Only a fearful wrath of destruction and torment and judgment? The answer is that the prophet has repeatedly offered hope in return to true faith and casting off sin. His core statement has called to the wayward people, Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us 
that he might heal us. He has struck us down that he might bind us up, that we may live before him. Even now, as he vividly foretold the shame and torment awaiting the people because of their idolatry and sin, he held open his appeal to them to return. So what's the appeal for us? What's the appeal for the church today in 2023? Because we're not living in a northern kingdom and we're not going into exile. We don't have a king who makes decisions out of fear. Do you have a king that makes decisions out of fear? But we have one who makes decisions out of obedience to his father. We don't have a king who builds a kingdom built of cards. If he did, we are in trouble. But one whose kingdom is built on his finished work. We don't have a king who causes his own people to sin. But we have a king who dies for the sins of his people. One of the best quotes in the return of the king, I said it before, the granddaw said, the hands of the king are in the hands of the healer. So would the true king be known. And that is Jesus, right? The hands of a king are the hands of a healer. So we don't have a king who will lead his people away from the one true God, but we have a king who reconciles us to that one true God. But do we believe it? There's a song that says, you plead my cause. You right my wrongs. You break my chains. You overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I'm truly free. We don't have a fearful, evil And when you look at all these kings of Israel and all their failures, all of them should show you that a different type of king is needed. And that is Jesus, who is a good and faithful king forever. That is our hope. That is our peace. Let us pray. I thank you, Lord, we, we don't have a king who makes decisions out of fear. I know as we study the Old Testament, read the Old Testament, have Bible studies in the Old Testament, it's often a challenge to see hope, it's often a challenge to see how any of this points us to Christ. But it does. It's there. So my prayer is that for each of us as beloveds, that as we go out and navigate the culture and the world in which we live, help us to know who we truly belong to. Help us to know that our Jesus is the true prophet, true priest, true king. All those offices, he fulfills them all perfectly for us, for his glory and for our good and benefit. And because
because of him, we have a kingdom that will not be shaken. We're citizens of a kingdom that will not be shaken. We're citizens of a kingdom, and we would never experience exile from that kingdom because of his blood, his work. So Holy Spirit, help our unbelief. Help us not to believe our fear this week. Help us not to believe the stories that we're going to tell ourselves this week. Help us to believe the promises that are given and spoken over us through Christ, that we will believe those promises, that you will help us to believe them. And I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?
before I give the benediction, I would like to ask Miss Tamaya to come down front. This is her last Sunday with us, uh, so she's going to be doing. She's going to be the full-time drummer at her home church. So I want to thank you so much for using your gifts to bless us. And she is a rising senior, and so we definitely want to pray over that. And so I would like to invite Patience and Sotero to come down front so we can lay our hands on Miss Tamaya and. And, and also Dawson, he's part of the music team, musicians. Come on. And I'm going to pray a pastoral blessing over her. And just know you can always come home to the village whenever you want to come home. Father, thank you for uh, your child, your daughter. Thank you for her gift. And thank you that you have blessed us, that we got to be recipients of her using her gift here at the village church. And thank you for this opportunity she has at her home church. And I pray blessings over her as she's a rising senior. I pray that she will have a wonderful senior year. I don't know what her plans are, but I pray that they will come true, Lord, that her dreams and her gifts, the plans she has, that you have for her life will come to pass. I pray you draw her closer to you and her walk with you. I pray blessings over her mom and dad. And, Lord, thank you for her. I pray protection over her. And I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Here's God's uh, benediction to his beloved sons and daughters. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in all hope. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please greet one another, saints.